that trauma that happened, it, it also opened up a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize because I was just so like grinding it out with the career and everything, doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, like trying to sing at the Met, trying to sing at this or that, you know, and often feeling like when I'm singing, my, my, the voice I think I have inside is never really coming out. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. My guest today is Jennifer Finn, and you are going to hear all about how we know each other originally, how we reconnected with one another, essentially how this came about. I think it's a pretty cool story, and it really aligns with everything that we discuss here on 10,000 Knows. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Jennifer is an opera singer, and she had an idea. How can musicians and singers get more live practice for their craft while simultaneously bringing joy to underserved New Yorkers? And what followed is the creation of the not-for-profit organization Concerts in Motion, which had New York One naming Finn their New Yorker of the Week recently. And in classic 10,000 No's Failure's Opportunity fashion, She is executing where most others merely dream or talk about these pie-in-the-sky ideas. Now, I align with her because, as you probably have realized by now, this has become my parallel mission with the podcast and with my book, and I am developing an online course that I'll tell you all about when it's actually ready. But the gist of it is trying to take all of these things that I've been through myself and put them together in a way that can help others. And I feel like that's really what she has done. So I want to give myself a little plug. So many of you have been so supportive and already bought the book. Those of you that have and have read it and given me texts and everything, I appreciate it. If you could remember to leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads, that really helps the visibility of the book. And I wanted to just remind you, as we are just passing Thanksgiving, heading into the holiday season, uh, people are giving gifts. This feels self-serving, but I really believe in this. I think my book, and I'm, and I'm getting this feedback from people, it's the kind of book that you may want to give someone that needs it around the holidays. I think it's kind of a uh, New Year's resolution type of book. I think it's also a graduation gift kind of book. So put that in the back of your head. If you have someone that's uh, younger, up and coming, just about to get on the path, think about giving them the book, 10,000 Knows How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. I really believe in it. It's got the same spirit as this podcast, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm really grateful for the feedback I'm getting because it seems like that was my intention, but that's actually what people are receiving. So think about that. And for now, here you go with Jennifer Finn. When's the last time we saw each other? Eighth grade. Eighth grade. (laughs) So that's... That's, you know, kind of bizarre to me. You, you moved away, then I'm doing something and you see it. And then I find out what you've been up to. And I'm just, I'm so impressed with the fact that you took something that a lot of people would talk about, but you've actually turned it into this real thing that's helping real humans in a very concrete way. Um, So maybe we could just start with I don't know. I mean, what was your perspective of like, you reached out to me, but I don't even know how you heard about the podcast, I guess. And then you started listening. Yeah, because um, uh, so basically I relocated to Northern Westchester and um, and I reconnected with uh, the current family who are, you know, mutual friends and um, and Maria Curran just, you know, she was sending me a lot of stuff. Um, And I wasn't really even looking at it. And then one day I was just like walking aimlessly, you know, because of the pandemic, I've just been walking a lot. And, um, 
And then she, I saw this podcast and I was like, oh, this is so perfect because I really need to, I need a mental break when I'm, you know, trying to not work all the time in front of the computer. Um, so then, you know, when I saw what you were doing, I thought, oh, this is so, so beautiful. And I can, um, I just feel like your message is so important to get out there, um, especially young people who are feeling really derailed and, um, and it's a perfect example of how you created something to, um, to address your own feelings of, of um, you know, either a lack of work at the moment or projects that were meaningful to you. And then here you're doing something that's right in your values and you're, you're the owner of your fiefdom, right? As you say. Yeah. And, um, and so um, I would say that's similar to my journey. So I could really relate to. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's how I, first of all, thanks for saying all that. And that's how I felt about you when I, when I looked into what concerts in motion is all about and, and who it's serving and even how you came there. So why don't we do that so listeners can hear, you know, there's kind of this origin story of it. Like back then, I don't know if I remembered that you were a singer back then. Were you a singer back then? Yeah, I actually studied with a lady who passed away sadly, but her name was Bernice Bramson. And she and Alan, her husband, Alan, they had Bramson's music in, in Mount Kisco. And, um, and she was just an inspiration to me. She, she, she was kind of like, I would go to my voice lessons on Fridays and she lived right in Katona. Um, and, uh, her voice, her speaking voice was so calming. Um, and you know, I was in seventh and eighth grade at the time and just, she exuded love and it just made me want to sing. Um, and I happened to have a talent in it. So she, um, you know, she, she was really the guiding thing that started that. And then I left um, the area after eighth grade and we moved to Connecticut. Then we moved to Philadelphia area and I wound up going into opera. Um, so um, yeah. And, and the journey is interesting because um, like I had the benefit of going to business school um, once I'd started the nonprofit and realized there's some skills here I need to build on. Um, but one of the things we did in the business school was we did a life journey uh, chart. And so you have a room full of nonprofit leaders who uh, they're at Columbia Business School and doing this, this thing that I think a lot of actors or artists do where you, you chart out your life and you get to these different moments where you have to make an important decision. And if you are acting within your own values, no matter what kind of fear is going on, like if you're, if you stay within your values, um, very often you make really interesting choices that will benefit not just yourself, but many hundreds, thousands of people that you may never have met or never will meet. Yeah, I relate to that because that's how, and I, I actually talk about that in the book more in depth about how I came to start acting. And it was exactly that. I always compare it to Joseph Campbell's, you know, the call. And it's like, I yeah. did not want to answer the call, by the way. It, it just came up from within and I couldn't stuff it back down. And so it came out in a journal and then that sparked this 180 turn that went from playing lacrosse at Boston College to all of a sudden doing a play at Boston College and very confusing for people around me. Like, what are you doing? But it, 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 it really was what I think I needed to do. And so it led me and it sounds like you had that call earlier, but then you had another call. So you had that call maybe back then seventh and eighth grade. I didn't, you know, I, it was back then taking piano lessons from Mr. Gaberman in South Salem. And um, so I had a little bit in retrospect, it makes more sense than it made to me at the time. But um, it sounds like you had more of an idea about singing and then just give me the little, you could just, you know, you don't have to go way in depth, but did you go to college undergrad for singing or what yeah. was? Yeah. So I, um, like most kids raised in the eighties, you know, we were trying to check those boxes. So I wound up going to uh, one of the top schools for opera, which was Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Um, it was ranked at the time. I don't know where it's at now, but it was ranked with Juilliard and in Indiana. Um, 
And I, um, because I'm a violinist also, um, I wound up getting roles as an undergrad. I'm also a lyric coloratura. That voice type tends to mature a lot faster. So um, I was getting roles with the grad students and I took full you know, advantage of that opportunity. Um, I sang in Israel, I sang in Europe. Um, but the thing that, um, that happened to me, sadly, was my college um, boyfriend um, passed away suddenly. Um, yeah, he died um, just from like um, eating something he was allergic to. It was very tragic. And, oh my um, God. Yeah, and I was in New York because um, I was auditioning for Phantom. At the time, that was the big gig for opera singers to get Christine and Phantom. Um, and I was just about to perform for Hal Prince and this happened and um, my entire voice fell apart, my body, like I, it's very hard to explain. Um, trauma is something that a lot of people are experiencing right now uh, with the pandemic. So, um, but at that time it was like 1995 and there was no, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened. I was really alone. I was 23 years old and like had this sudden loss and just I was in New York City, like trying to be a singer and it's like a very tough road when you don't have a trauma going on. So um, I actually had to, I had to like take a break from pursuing. And, um, and so I played bluegrass music for a while. I just did a lot of different things to find my voice again. Um, and I wound up uh, studying with this amazing uh, teacher. Uh, she passed away sadly um, in 2016, but she was in her 70s when I met her. Um, her name was Maria Farnworth. Her husband sang Man of La Mancha on Broadway. Like in New York, um, the Upper West Side, and it's, it's, you know, changing now because of the, you know, just time goes by. But the, the Upper West Side was home to some of the greatest musicians of all time. And um, so she lived right on 73rd Street um, between Amsterdam and Columbus. And she taught me, it was funny because that trauma that happened, it, it also opened up a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize because I was just so like grinding it out with the career and everything, doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, like trying to sing at the Met, trying to sing at this or that, you know, and often feeling like when I'm singing, my, my, the voice I think I have inside is never really coming out. And, and it was just something that was like irking me for a while. And, um, you know, I studied with all the people you're supposed to study with. And in, in, in opera, it's all about the teacher, like politics and the teacher and stuff like, so, um, so anyway, when I met Maria, she was a note, she was like an unknown, she's not going to help you get that gig. You know, it was like, you had to take a chance and right. just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be true to myself. So I spent about 10 years with her. Um, and um, she taught the traditional bel canto style. And the, the really, the people in the know knew who she was, but she, you know, um, she was a special soul. So, um, so what was really interesting is that once I learned to sing the way that I could feel was authentic, me, not me showing myself, or appearing like what I thought they wanted, um, then I knew for whom I would like to sing. And so that's when it got really interesting because um, while I was in the workshop you know, of her studio, I remember she used to have all these angels everywhere, like angel paintings and things on the walls. And I would look at these angels and think, you know, I know my path, my path is something different than what I, was told it should be. Um, and so um, the thing that I really love is singing for people who have dementia. And this is something that is very um, hard to explain um, to someone like it's not what you put on the resume. But um, so the thing about it is that um, so when you when music is the one thing that the brain processes um, that hasn't been affected by the disease. So what happens very often is this kind of a miracle. Like you walk into a situation with someone who's totally not talking. They haven't spoken in years, maybe. Um, they're living in complete darkness. Um, maybe they only see one or two people. 
And then I come in, I listen, somebody tells me what their favorite music is, and likely it's you know, either opera or classical Broadway. And I sing the music from like their early 20s. Um, you know, at that time, that was like Carousel, you know, the, the Jerome Kern stuff. And the response is like unbelievable. I'm people, I witness people talking that never spoke a word in year. Like I'm talking, they've been living with this thing for 10 years. Um, I had the, I had the honor of singing for Eugene Lang and Eugene Lang, he was this amazing guy who he was in, um, he was a philanthropist who gave away 98% of his wealth um, to help children underserved children. So I went to his funeral and at his funeral, everybody's sitting there like this guy, he's, he doesn't have any more lives to live. He's fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had dementia and, um, he and I, I would sing for him and I would also bring students. Um, so a lot of it too is the thing that I love about it is that you have to listen for the person. So it's not about you and what you feel like singing or doing. It's about what's going to, what are they going to respond to? So in Mr. Lang's case, he was a huge like Lincoln Center subscriber before he was sick. And so at first I brought him, like I sang and I brought amazing cellists and he like slept through the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so, then, so then I was like, you know what? I bet he'll respond to kids because he spent his life helping kids. So I did. And it was unbelievable, the response. All of a sudden, he starts talking to the kids, asking them, how do you know you performed well? What makes a good performance? Like all these questions, like the family was just blown away because they had lost their father. They lost access to him. And when, when, when the kids would come, I remember the family members would come because they were like, I got to hear this because we haven't heard him engage in that way. So long way of saying that not only following your bliss is important in terms of your own well-being and authenticity and acknowledgement of self, but it also in a way what I learned anyway, I can only speak for myself, is that I became a self-actualized person where my contribution, um, my humble my contribution that felt like this, you know, at the time when I was making the pivot, um, just became this, it's like you become like that, that, um, that grain of sand that fits through the eye of the needle, you know, and you start to realize that I can, I can step humbly, I can bring my, my gifts, and I can make a tremendous difference, not only in my life, but that other people can come with their gifts, kind of like what you're doing with this podcast, where you're inviting others to share their their story. So it becomes this thing that like, you know, the organization that I run now is very different from the organization I began, you know, literally on my kitchen table 10 years ago, but, but it's not even about that accomplishment. It's about, you know, uh, that tr total artist, um, like the connection to, okay, I'm going to come to this in my way, but how are all these other musicians? Cause right now I have, we have about a hundred musicians that we employ and we have about 150 kids that participate and everybody's on their journey. So, right. um, so that's the other thing that's um, meaningful. And then the way we started, because I artistically came to this, like not about me, like putting opera out in the world or, and that's a noble cause and all that, but it was more about listening for what people need in their life. And so music is one of those rare things that, you know, wherever you're from, like in New York City, you have an incredibly diverse immigrant community population. So when we first started out, our funding wasn't arts at all. It was actually human service because we could deliver Russian music for the Russian community, um, Chinese music for the Chinese community. Um, we had Latin musicians because New York is just full of music. Um, and so that's really how we got our start. And it was so beautiful because like, then I could hire people to manage all the different things that grew and kind of get out of their way, you know, and I mean, manage it, you know, like a, a manager, but just to kind of let people come in how they're going to come. Um, Cause of course it's so, it's so personal, you know. Well, talk to me a little bit about when you got the idea for 
concerts in motion. And maybe it wasn't called that at the first, I don't know. But when you got that idea, were you, was that in the midst of business school? Was it before you went back to business school? Like when was that, what was the progression of singing, having the epiphany that like, eh, this track that I'm on is not really working anymore for me. I want to do something more personal. Is that what sparked you to go back to business school or were you there? Like, how did that come about? Oh, um, so yeah. So when I was still in the career, um, because my, the voice, the stuff I sing is very athletic and it's really complicated. Like I sing queen of the night. I mean, this crazy stuff. So I always, before I got in front of a new con- conductor, I would go to a nursing home or a veterans hospital and sing for them. And um, I would explain to them what I was doing, that I was, that I was practicing this, what we call off book in the, in the industry. Um, and what I found was that not only were they so appreciative of the music, but they just really wanted to talk about their experience in music. And so, um, so that's what, um, you know, I would leave those feeling very joyful. And that's what made me feel like I wanted to start start, you know, how do I get to do this? This is kind of what I want to do. I don't really like the career so much. How old um, were you at that point? I was probably 38, 38 oh. years old. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say like 25. No. Wow. And, then, and so yeah. wait, had you not even gone back to business school at that point? Well, I didn't, I went to business school while I was running the organization um, because there is, a, there is a program through Columbia that's actually really cool for any artists out there who want to learn nonprofit. They have out of the executive education wing, they have um, a, a senior leaders program and it's intense. It's not an MBA, but it's an intensive program um, that, that I had the benefit of taking um, and uh, yeah, I was in a room with like 50 other nonprofit uh, people, like Easter Seals was there. I mean, it was so crazy, but- um, So you yeah. did this after age of 38 while you were- yeah. and yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Go on. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. that. Was that like going to, was it, were you exclusively doing that or no? It sounds like you were also doing the, the not-for-profit organization while doing that. So how did that work out? Yeah, it's structured so that working people can can um, can attend. You know, um, the biggest challenge I had growing the organization was not the program or even funding. It was growing the board, and so a board has a lot of components to it that, like, an artist may or may not be able to handle a lot of politic challenges. Um, and so just taking this program not only benefited me, but it benefited my board members to know that like, you know, a, a person who's gone to Columbia is running the thing and, you know, it makes them feel more, you know, but yeah. that was the hardest part. And it was a real, there were moments where I was like, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. I'm Are not your sure. typical board members more uh, kind of high net worth individuals or are they more artists is it a mix is it people from the community what what's the gist on the board yeah so a good board has a diverse um you have a diverse uh skills and talents so we do have people most everybody is very generous financially and they're also opening doors for us um uh, we only have one musician uh on the board her name is nava perlman and she's itzak perlman's daughter um, and she's around our age and she, um, she is just lovely. Um, she comes to, uh, music and, um, even with her own children who have been in the program with such loving care and kindness, um, for what she sees her kids are able to do through the program. Um, no dragon parent vibe at all. <laughs> yeah. So. What, what is the, um, the vision for you right now, I saw congratulations that you were, you know, New York one had you as the New Yorker of the week, which I'm sure is not what drives you, but it's nice to get the external uh, feedback from, you know, when I was living in New York, I would watch New York one all the time. In fact, that's what I was watching when uh, 9-11 occurred. And, you know, so what, what is the vision? Is the vision now to just sink in deeper and stay in New York? Or do you have some grand 
vision in your head, which is we can scale this and bring this to other cities and New York will just be the model that will then go to Chicago, LA, Atlanta, wherever, and then maybe even globally. What, what's your vision for it? And is, how important is that versus just really just digging deeper in New York? Yeah, um, that's a really great question. And I think it's a question for my board and me to have. To have. Um, personally, I um, vision-wise, I feel really excited because we're actually serving Westchester and Long Island now, whereas before the pandemic, that would just be almost impossible, though we were on track to do 1,500 concerts this year. Um, so, you know, I think on the virtual is a tool that we're already serving Chicago and also some senior centers in San Diego. For us, it's an issue. I mean, I know exactly in my head, like the staffing, I would need to pull it off. Um, if we did, you know, online, but national online. Um, and a lot of it's the relationships. It's the relationship with the agency. Like we have partnerships with, um, like right now, I think we're serving every senior center in New York City and there's 300 of them. Um, that's just a lot of social workers to manage. They are very um, wonderful people, but they also require uh, tender loving care, you know, in terms of this moment we're in. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I had a department of people who were just tasked with making those relationships, um, we have a strong partnership model, which means we work with the agency primarily, and then they tell us what music they want, and then we provide that. Um, so um when you say so, you work yeah. with the agency what's an example yeah. of an agency because when you originally said that i was thinking oh does she mean agencies that represent musicians and they give their oh, right. clients to them but now i think <laughs> you're saying more like uh a home or somewhere like that yeah so we serve like pre-pandemic we served 85 different human service agencies so these are agencies that are serving the most isolated residents in the city. So some of them are literally sending social workers or nurses or doctors into the homes. And then they tell us who would be a good fit for our program. We always rely on that perspective. Um, and always the mission is to use music as a tool to alleviate social isolation. So social isolation itself is, is a health risk. And a lot of us now have experienced a little bit, a little bit of what these folks used to go through. And, and, you know, they had on top of that, they had, they're completely forgotten and the world is going on without them. But um, yeah, so we work with Mount Sinai uh, Visiting Doctors Program. That was our first agency um, because my, my, first, my first vision was I wanted to sing for people in their homes, but I don't know how to do that because you can't like go knock on their apartment. Right. <laughs> Right. So um, my favorite, my favorite thing that we do when, when we can do things in person is we send Chinese, traditional Chinese musicians into these tenement buildings in Chinatown. So, so New York City is actually pretty interesting. We have a huge aging population. And this is an issue in all, all of our country. But New York is a little bit more um, ahead of the game with it. So what they do is they have this model and it's called a naturally occurring retirement community. So the city looks at, let's say Chinatown in Manhattan and they say, okay, 24 block radius. This is a naturally occurring, there are enough people aging in place who are never gonna move to a nursing home because they can't afford it. So we have to, the city has to put in social work, they have to create a senior center. And so that's the agency we work with. And that's all under the Department for the Aging. So yeah, I mean, it's funny because we're, we're arts, but we're really um, operating in that human service side. Um, and I see a trend in our, with our competitors, there's more interest in that kind of partnership model. But we've been at this for 10 years. And it's, it's really hard going because you have a lot of, it's like, it's just relationships, you know, like, like anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of uh, people in my family, you know, there are nurses and my, really in my wife's family, uh, nurses, nurse practitioners. Um, and so hearing you say this, I love the melding of, because they're all amazing and so service oriented. And so to hear this combined with the arts is 
really exciting to me and it sounds like it's working. Um, so we could talk about this for a long time. Uh, I, I want to hear, because I want people to hear, uh, you had reached out to me and said, because of this podcast, uh, the book, whatever, maybe I could be of some use to you and Concerts in Motion. I don't know uh, exactly what that looks like, but I, I, I think it's worth it. I was originally thinking we would stop talking and do this just in per, you know, just the two of us, but I actually think it's good for people to hear um, that are listening because maybe they have some skill set and they reach out to you and they say, well, I could offer this and who knows, you know, you just, you just yeah. don't know. I mean, this thing could get listened to five years from now and someone hears it and goes, oh, I want to get involved with that. So how does someone like myself, what, what's the, what was the thought you had when you reached out to me to say, hey, would you want to get involved in some way? How does someone like myself contribute? Okay, awesome. Great question. Um, always. So, um, okay, so we have this really exciting program that we devised during the pandemic time to help students um, coming from underserved communities of color in New York City um, who are in arts programs that can't happen right now. So um, it's called our PEAK program, and um, that stands for it's it's a it's a program for these kids that involves artists just like yourself sharing resources so for example um your your topic of your podcast would be incredibly encouraging and empowering to these students um uh, we also have um we do we have panels of artists of color in music who share their journeys the you know the things that um the mishaps, the mistakes that happen, what are they, you know, the losses, how did they recover? Um, so that's, that's one thing, because that's something like right now we're working with students who um, they're in a program called Opportunity Music Project, which is a wonderful small nonprofit that provides free music lessons to kids in East Harlem. Um, so they take this this with this program with us. It's online, so it's not a lot of your time because I know you've got a lot going on. Right. Um, so what we would ideally do is maybe have your your um, in whatever way that you wanted to structure it, um, your your theme of your podcast um, in some way for these students and um, make it interactive if that feels right to you. Um, so that was one idea we had, and then. Um, in January, we're working with a settlement house in the Bronx called Eastside House Settlements. Um, and so this is exactly the kind of kids that would really, they would probably adore meeting you, first of all. <laughs> like, it would be such a big deal. Um, so that's one part of our youth program. And um, the other side of our youth program is, is we are, um, we work with students in public and private schools all over the eastern seaboard basically i mean we're working with kids in boston um new jersey and we're starting to add more states mostly new york city students um there's about a hundred of them and so they uh would they have um they're in a high school leaders program with us they go to like hunter high school like uh, you know laguardia we have kids from all over the city um volunteering and so they they have regular meetings they would love to meet you um so the peak okay. pro yeah the peak program is is special because um this is it's a way to for us to get to meet kids we wouldn't normally have met in the past because as you can imagine if you're running an arts nonprofit that's with students, most likely you meet the kids whose parents can afford music lessons, which in New York City means you're like a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the, the peak program we created, so those kids can seamlessly diversify the other group. So it's, you know, they're all really great kids. And our feeling is that um, this, the natural segregation that goes on in our society does them a disservice because they don't get to meet each other. And so online, we found that it's a really um, positive way for them to encounter each other because there's no geography. There's no, uh, yeah. you know. Um, what's, yeah, here's so. what's so funny about the timing of this. Um, literally, right, I mean, right next to me, you could see 
you know, about 50 pages and I've just begun doing this. It's something that I've been concocting for a while now, but it's basically a lot of people have told me, oh, you should do this with your content, but it's an, it's an online course that I'm creating that's geared toward actors, but it's really more universal. I mean, definitely applies to musicians, but it definitely it really applies to anybody. It's kind of the stuff we talk about on the podcast. Kind of if you have, it's what you've done. If you have this, this dream to do something, how do you turn it into a reality? What are, so it's, it's really just, uh, it's kind of an extension of this. It's kind of like the book, but it's way, it's more in depth and it's actually a bunch of videos and exercises that I've, devised that people can do so they actually um you know participate because there's this thing that that i've seen uh you can have informational learning which is you're listening to podcasts you're watching speeches i've done all this stuff you know it's like listen i go for runs i listen to motivational speeches or i listen to podcasts and you know you can do all of that kind of stuff but if it doesn't if you don't bring yourself to it it's not transformational so what i've done with this is you know it'll be a, it's a combo of me talking into it's like a six week course it it may end up getting longer or shorter depending on when it comes really comes about but the gist is you know it is walking you through the realities which you know when you were pursuing opera and what I know, cause I was in the city at the same time in 95, you don't hear about this in acting class, but the things that were game changers for me were things that, you, you know, people aren't thinking of when they say, Oh, what's it like to be an actor? It's like, well, I'll tell you what, I lived in a rent stabilized place on the Upper East Side for seven years and paid 500 bucks a month the first year because I built a wall and a loft. And like, I lived in a, you know, kind of crappy apartment, but I did that for seven years. It didn't go up much. And that's how I afforded the time to then get the skills to catch up to it because I didn't make money in the beginning. So it's all of that kind of stuff. And we can talk when we wind this down, which I think we can do soon and you and I can speak about it. But may, you know, it's just amazing to me how this came about. And then maybe there's some type of, I don't know, there's some type of, I'm still doing this kind of as my own little entity, but maybe there's a way that it, it bridges over to you guys. So maybe there's a portion of it that, that applies to, you know, the, the body of students that you're dealing with and it could be helpful and if or oh, or it can be please. tweaked or whatever but but yeah i, I um, just yeah yeah i mean like um so so for what you're doing I, it could i see it in a couple ways like first of all like you're you're in your process of creating this 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 course which is huge so if um if if creating just even a small little thing for our students where it's like a one hour um interactive session that helps you in your process and even if you told them that you're working on this i mean i think that would be meaningful um some of the other sessions we've had um we have a financial aid person come and and talk to them you know but this stuff this 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 um what you have to offer is what they really need to be hearing um and um you know a lot of them are um you know, they're, they're trying to go into the arts, but whatever it is that they're going into, right? It's like, um, you know, it's, it's its own journey. It applies. Yeah, that, well, that's yeah. why I say um, this is because this is what I do is that I'm an actor and that's what my experience is. I kind of, that's maybe the niche, but I really, as I do it, I think it applies to anyone. It applies to anyone who is, because we're all always kind of evolving. It's like whenever you're taking that step from where you are, and I think a lot of people are doing that now with COVID, a lot of people are reevaluating and reassessing. So you're taking a step from where you are to some new unknown area. That's kind of what this is about, because I feel like I've, I've done that. I've done it 
in a couple of different ways. I did it with the podcast as well. It's like when you have no idea, you're like, oh, I want to do this. And then you jump in, which is kind of my way. I go like, I really want to do this. I jump in and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I am doing at all. I literally don't know what a podcast is. And then you just kind of you figure it out, you get help, you do it, you bump your head against the wall, you come back. So this is, this is an attempt to spare people from all of the bumping of their heads into the wall that I had to do. Although I also think, as I say on the show all the time, you do need to bump your head in the wall. You do need to fall down and scrape your knee and get back up. That's part of the process. So it's not going to shield anyone, but it hopefully it will maybe just either speed up their process or let them feel a little less alone when they do take that journey so that, you know, they're, they're not just going to throw in the towel because I'm sure there are people that you serve. There are a lot of them that, that maybe shouldn't be or won't be musicians professionally, but then there are probably a handful that should, and they're going to go through really tough times. And maybe if they have some kind of mentorship of some way, when they're at those points that I've been in uh, several times where they think like, is this worth it? Should I just throw the towel in? Maybe like this just pushes them over the edge and they just continue to go and then something works out. Yeah. That's I think thought. that, yeah, my, my initial too is just even if you took a step back and you told your story about creating this podcast and exactly what you just said to me, these kids really need encouragement. They, I mean, the, even the kids who are normally well-served are underserved right now. Um, and so, I mean, just to, like, I know from my own journey, like, I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to do this, and then I'm supposed to do that, and then da-da-da-da, you know, and then so clearly, like, authenticity came in and was like, uh-uh, that's not, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so, I mean, your story is so compelling, just your creation of this podcast and your honesty about, like, you know, just jumping in and, trying something i just feel like that into itself is is powerful okay. all right well thank you Let, let's do something before and we can continue to talk but i'm looking at i'm thinking about this as an episode because i want to share this with people so let me give you my classic if you're okay with it my classic final three questions okay. I, don't mean to, I don't mean to put you on the spot but let me give those to you and we can put this out to the world and then you and i could chat for a little bit um so the word no means what to you? Means yes. It just means yes in a different way. I like it. Okay. Um, how about any mantra or phrase that, or, or just philosophy that you've adopted over the years that you lean on when things go sideways, things feel hopeless. I don't mean a mantra in terms of meditation or anything, but just something that, that a phrase that runs through your head. Phrase. Um, I have more of a feeling that I try to, um, I try, I'm thinking of like moments where I feel like I'm not sure I'm cut out for this or, you know, I messed up. I made, I mean, I made a big, big mess um, that I'm not sure I can come back from um, those moments, um, not to sound overly religious or anything like that, but I, I just try to take all my hurt and I just give it over. Like, I just try to give it over because like for me anyway, like I always try to figure everything out. My brain is like, you know, and, um, and, but when, but when reality hits and, and I might've made a mistake, um, the best thing I can do is be quiet and just give over and be humble. And then very, very often, if not every single time, not only can I make amends for the mess I made or whatever mistake I made, but also um, I'm open, I open up a door for something else to come in to the energy, to the space of the, of the, of the source of the thing. So that's, that's what I, um, that's mine. I, I, I uh, identify with that too, kind of acceptance and surrender. Yeah. Um, last one. If, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I would not intervene. 
I would not. I needed to go through, I had to go through what I went through. Even, even the tragedy of the loss that I had at that age, it, it brought me closer to God. It brought me closer to my authentic self. It brought me closer with what loneliness feels like on the journey. And that, that loneliness is, is no joke, right? It's, it's very, very difficult. But um, I just don't think I would have come to the conclusions that I came to if I didn't have that time to really stew and live in the mess and, you know, just like walk through it and, and get through it kind of. But um, yeah, I mean, I did a lot of healing work at the same time. So I don't think I would have had the opportunity to heal properly if I had, if I had intervened, although it would be tempting. <laughs> totally agree. And, and like many of the people I've sat down with um, that have said those moments, those times in their life, those tragedies when they really almost didn't make it for almost all of them those very things have become the uh, the calling of their life. And for you, if you think about it, who are you serving? You're serving people that are isolated and alone. And how do you have compassion for them? Because you were isolated and alone. So you kind of, that's just unfortunately, because we don't want to go through pain, but unfortunately that's kind of the gig, you know, that is what it is. So, um, Jennifer Finn, that thank you so much, not only for sitting down, but also for creating this. I'm, I'm sure families out there and kids out there and, 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 and grandkids of some of the people you serve are thanking you all the time. But I just want to say thank you. And this was really cool. And I, um, I'm hoping that I can help it in some way. Thank you, Matt. This was such an honor for me. Thank you. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah, I, we got to give a shout out to John Jay, baby. I know, they just changed their mask. I know, I was just going to say, now it's the John Jay Wolves, I think. So I don't want to say the other, our old mascot, because it's oh not uh, PC, I guess, but um, John Jay Wolves. All right. I'm not sure where they got wolves, but hey, let's go. Oh my um, goodness. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right, top three takeaways. Here we go. Number one, I don't even know if this is really a takeaway as much as it's just a reminder that no matter how much pain you are going through, and a lot of you are going through a lot of pain right now with this pandemic, you are not alone. Others have been there. Listen to this. I was just about to perform for Hal Prince and this happened and um, my entire voice fell apart, my body, like I, it's very hard to explain. Um, Trauma is something that a lot of people are experiencing right now uh, with the pandemic. So, um, but at that time it was like 1995 and there was no, you know, 9-11 hadn't happened. I was really alone. I was 23 years old and like had this sudden loss and just, I was in New York City, like trying to be a singer and it's like a very tough road when you don't have a trauma going on. Really, my point is it can be brutal. Just hang in there. Number two, I play this clip of Jennifer's because you just heard how brutal it was. She went through that tragedy when she was pretty early on. But look at what she has created as a result of that. Look who she is serving right now and just ask yourself, what is it that you might be doing with whatever current tragedy or obstacle you're facing right now? Who might you be serving in the future? Here's what she did. Pre-pandemic, we served 85 different human service agencies. So these are agencies that are serving the most isolated residents in the city. So some of them are literally sending social workers or nurses or doctors into the homes. And then they tell us who would be a good fit for our program. I am just so impressed and inspired by Jennifer and Concerts in Motion and what they are doing. Here's number three. It's a recurring theme on this podcast, and it might be annoying to hear when you are in the midst of tragedy or setback, but it really is a truism that we have found with our guests over and over and over again, which is you kind of have to go through those fires in order to learn those lessons that you will then turn into your gifts and the people that you serve uh, 
Jennifer said she wouldn't take back any of the pain. And uh, here's how she said it. I had to go through what I went through. Even, even the tragedy of the loss that I had at that age, it, it brought me closer to God. It brought me closer to my authentic self. It brought me closer with what loneliness feels like on the journey. And that, that loneliness is, is no joke, right? It's, it's very, very difficult. But um, I just don't think I would have come to the conclusions that I came to if I didn't have that time to really stew and live in the mess and, you know, just like walk through it and, and get through it. All right, guys, that is our show. Once again, thank you to Jennifer Finn. Go check out Concerts in Motion. We will have a link to it in the show notes. They are doing amazing things. Uh, Since this conversation, I have signed on to speak to a group in the Bronx, and uh, last week's guest, Aldous Hodge, has agreed generously to uh, provide his time with me. We're going to do a panel, as well as Tony Torres, who was one of my first guests on the podcast back in 2017. I worked with her on Goliath, so that's going to be cool. Hopefully, we're going to uh, help some, uh, you know, just just maybe... uh, inspire some kids who knows Um, i'm excited about that excited about everything to come thank you again everyone who has read the book given me feedback a reminder if you have read it and you have not left a five-star rating and a review please do so on amazon on goodreads if you're on goodreads uh that really helps the visibility of the book and um if you follow me on instagram you saw that we were tagged with a number one new release uh, this past week. So really excited about that. Those reviews truly, truly help the visibility. So thank you. Um, And that's it. If you were not able to be with family for Thanksgiving, uh, I apologize for it. Uh, I guess I don't apologize, but uh, sorry that that was the case. Just know that that was uh, my situation as well. I was not with my immediate family, was with my parents by the time you're hearing this and um, you know we're all making sacrifices this year it is a bit of a crazy year with this virus and this uh, this global pandemic I mean we're going to look back on it and as is the motto of this show failure is opportunity we're all going to come through it uh, stronger than before I believe that I just don't know when that's going to happen but um Hang in there. Keep on putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, again, if you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, rate it and review it. And uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.